Welcome to the Dry Ground Project podcast. Our goal is to create a global community of professionals caring for young adults aged out of orphanages and foster care. That's what we do. I'm your host, Callie. And I'm your co-host, Amanda. Welcome to the Dry Ground Project podcast. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode, Amanda. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you for asking. How are you? I'm good. And here we are again. We're going to talk today about one of my most favorite things ever because I love to read and we're talking about books. Yay! Do you also love to read? I have learned to like to read, but as a kid, reading was really hard for me. Why was that? Because I had some issues with my eyes. I had a lazy eye. And so my, uh, I, I mean, I still have it. It didn't go anywhere. But uh, I learned to train it. And reading was really hard because you have to focus both your eyes on a single point. And so I hated to read as a kid. Um, But my parents were adamant that we read. They didn't care what it was. Just find something you like and read it. So I, it turns out I loved to read about how to learn to do things. So I had lots of books on how to draw and how to paint and all these things I wanted to learn how to do, and I think I've carried that into adulthood, and I've learned to like to read. I think since I've known you, you've read maybe like two fiction books that I know of. Yeah, yeah, I don't do a lot of uh, fiction reading for some reason. I, I'm always wanting to read to apply what I'm learning, which is why I loved university, right, because that was, that was all I was reading um, and why I read so much now for work we need to learn but I love fiction and nonfiction. um as a child I struggled to learn to read I don't have a learning disability that I know of but Mm -hmm. learning to read was just really hard for me I was slower and I got frustrated with myself because I wanted to read so badly and once I could read I read everything and mostly fiction I love stories started with the little house on the prairie books moved to babysitter's club just all the good classics of our generation. So, But here we are. Today we're not talking about the Babysitter's Club, although I could do a whole podcast about that. <laughs> Write honestly. it down in our list of ideas. It might come next season. Just you wait. Um, but today we're going to talk about our favorite books as they relate to our work and what we do and our faith a little bit. We have a couple different kind of categories we'll talk about. Um, but we're going to just chat through some of our favorite books, some we've both read, some just one of us have read. Um, most of them we pretty much fully endorse. I don't think there's anything we're going to be super picky about. I mean, we haven't written a book, so what can we Yet. say? Yet. Coming Yet. next season. <laughs> right. So many things to do. Yeah, well, I, I think we should go ahead and say these books are not in order because mm-hmm. it would be impossible to rank them correctly it would probably take us an entire work day and honestly it's a waste of time so they're not in any particular order but one that has come up a lot that's really easy to access is the connected child bringing hope and healing to your adoptive family by karen purvis do you know how many languages this book is in oh i don't but um, we know it is in latvian it's in latvian for sure is where we work and um that's a pretty obscure language for it to have been translated into but it's very needed here Yes. Um, And so I'm sure you can find it in your native tongue if you do a little searching. Yeah. I would love to know how many languages 
it's been translated into because I know that the training has been translated into several languages. Um, so I'm sure, I'm sure this book has as well. Um, this was written before TBRI principles um, had really been established. They were kind of in the process of, of learning them, writing them down, getting them into like a, a concrete system. So um, it basically talks through all of those principles and, and how they work in a family setting with adoptive children, um, but it's just a little bit before the research and the, the, the curriculum came out. So you're reading TBRI. You're just not hearing the terms. Mm-hmm. TBRI, again, trust-based relational intervention, the method of care we use that comes out of Texas Christian University. Um, and the book, again, The Connected Child, Bring Hope and Healing to Your Adoptive Family by Dr. Karen Purvis. Do you remember when you first read The Connected Child? I first read The Connected Child after my first caregiver training in 2016. Um, it was super helpful to read because at the time I was working with um, kids between 6 and 18 that were still in the orphanage. Um, and so it was a helpful tool for me to see how the caregiving principles had been applied in real life. Like, again, talking about the books I like to read, I want to apply the knowledge I've been given. And so this book was helpful because it gave real life examples of using these principles and interacting with kids. And so for me, it was, it was a really helpful read. Yeah, I agree. I read this in 2017 when I had kids in my house at various points, and um, <clears throat> it is really helpful, and it's still the first one that I'll recommend to um, pa- new parents coming into foster care or just anyone working with kids who may have experienced trauma. Yeah, I think this is a great one for for starting the topic, right? Getting involved in this kind of trauma-informed uh, way of thinking. It's a really yeah, easy first step. Yeah, I'd say the whole trauma-informed world, really. Yeah. It's very accessible. So we recommend The Connected Child for sure. Okay, so that's maybe kind of our first category of trauma book. Another category that we read is kind of about organizational structure, leadership, and mentoring. And that's what this second book is. Um, We actually have a blog post about this book. It was our first book review on our blog um, because we found it so helpful for our organization. It's called Older and Wiser, and it's by Jean E. Rhodes. Yes, and this book was recommended to me by a friend of mine who is an executive director of a mentoring organization in Dallas. And they they had started reading it um, and thought it would apply to what we do. Even though The Lighthouse isn't, technically a mentoring organization we do mentor right and I think churches mentor I think um, businesses mentor so in any of those settings this could be a really helpful read just learning what works with mentoring specifically yeah and my favorite thing about this book was that the it was research-based and there were very practical steps to take after reading this book, like things we could directly apply to our organization. So if you're working with an organization that, again, like a church or an organization like ours, anyone who mentors people in any way, even if it's not your focus, I would recommend this book. Um, Yeah. And 
I, I think a couple of points that I really loved about it was um, the research on the impact of well-trained paraprofessionals, because that's what we are. So um, it talked about it shared the data on why paraprofessionals are important in mentoring work and why they should be well-trained so that you can have a greater impact. I think I also loved, in summary, uh, that well-trained mentors make a bigger impact, right? And you, if you go into mentoring with a specific goal in mind, with the skills to com- like accomplish that, then you'll see success as a mentoring organization. So rather than keeping it broad and just hanging out to have some real concrete goals. Yeah. And this might sound like common sense, but along those lines also, you're more successful when mentoring relationships are organic. Like if you actually have something in common going into the person that you're mentoring, and maybe that's not always possible, but I don't know. So far doing the work we do, I've encountered youth that I just see more eye to eye with. And so it's helpful if I can be the one to, you know, be really close to that one person and help guide them. Yeah. And I think with that in mind, if you're, let's say, in a more formal mentoring organization, if you go into it with a really rigid mindset on, you know, I've, I've paired this mentor with this kid. Um, but let's say that that kid is interacting better with another adult. Like, wouldn't it be better to make make the switch, right? So if you if you can stay flexible, you can see where people connect naturally and encourage those relationships and give that mentor the skills that they need. Yeah, the book does encourage flexibility in general. It it says straight up, there's no one size fits all model for a mentoring program. So keep that in mind and find what works for you. Mm-hmm. I found this one really encouraging. Yeah, super recommend older and wiser new ideas for youth mentoring in the 21st century. I love any book title with 21st century. Do you? Because we're like mm. well into the 21st century, but it still sounds futuristic to me for some reason. So it's <laughs> it like does. Feels there's a little... some sort of promise that this is going to fix all my problems right. in the it, new it world. Feels, feels sci-fi. Yeah. Okay. Um, this next one I put on the list. Have you read this one, Amanda? I have not. Okay. Well... Tell me about Hold it, Callie. On. I have to find the title. The whole title. Oh, the private writings. See, there's always a subtitle. Always. In nonfiction. <laughs> okay. So the next book that I want to talk about um, and tell Amanda about because she hasn't read it, but it is called Come Be My Light, The Private Writings of the Saint of Calcutta. Mother Teresa, obviously. Um, We don't necessarily consider ourselves to be missionaries because we didn't come to another country to convert people necessarily, um, to shove our religion down other people's throats or anything. But we did come to do a specific job. And Mother Teresa was very specific and intentional in the work that she did, caring for orphans and the poor in India. Um, And I just... I was really encouraged by this book and her approach. So some quotes from the book that I like that I'll read to you. She wrote, but still everything is for Jesus. So like that everything is beautiful, even though it is difficult. And that, that rings yeah, true in our work. Right? That is absolutely true for our work. You know, I, and I think a lot of people listening that are doing similar work could, could say the same, right? It's hard work, but yeah. it is beautiful it's beautiful another quote to the good god nothing is little 
because he is so great and we so small. That is why he stoops down and takes the trouble to make those little things for us, to give us a chance to prove our love for him. We don't have to prove our love for God, but he does give us a chance to do this work. Um, He doesn't need us to accomplish any goal. He can do it all on his own, but we get to partake in this work that we do, which is really fun and life-giving. Yeah. One final quote. Our poor people are great people, a very lovable people. They don't need our pity and sympathy. They need our understanding. They need our respect. We need to tell the poor that they are somebody to us and that they too have been created by the same loving hand of God to love and to be loved. Come on, Mother Teresa. I do bring this up a lot, especially when I go back to the U.S. because I I get a lot of well-meaning people that are like, you're doing such a great work. They are so lucky to have you. And like... I mean, just, just meet our youth. They, they can do this stuff. Like they've, they've made it this far and they are incredible people with a lot of strength and grit and they don't need our pity. They need our support. Uh, and so, yeah, I really like this quote. Yeah. This book is chock full of quotes like that. Just of kind of, I guess after reading it, you'll understand the journey that she took to leave a very comfortable life at the time to do something well not super comfortable but more comfortable (laughs) Mm -hmm. to move to Calcutta and to serve the poor and it's it's cheesy but she is an inspiration to me Mm -hmm. yeah it sounds really good what's the next book we're going to talk about Amanda the next book we're going to talk about is another big title in the trauma world called the body keeps the score Um, she has it here I have it here, and it has a subtitle, <laughs> Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. And it's written by uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, MD. He has, he has uh, things following his name. Um, it's a very uh, neuroscience-heavy uh, book. I would want let's say like a trigger warning on it. So like if you've experienced sexual abuse for specifically, this book could be really hard to read. Um, There's still good in the book. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of like really good research, uh, but it might be hard for some readers. So just be warned, but um, very, very popular in the trauma world. Yeah, it's, it's been too long since I've read it and I probably didn't give it the dedicated attention that it deserves i'm known to skim at times yeah. uh, because there's so much good content out there i want to consume it all but if if something's not holding my interest and not to say that this book didn't but um i i i did skim it and i should reread it add it to your list so um but yeah it does get into the neuroscience behind trauma Yeah, lots of diagrams on the brain, lots of understanding what parts of the brain do, uh, and a lot of his own kind of journey in in research. I think in general, what what came out of this book and what's really important for us as, as people working with people that have experienced trauma is that our body has a lot more held in it than we or psychology gives credit to with with 
you know, the brain. We often think of ourselves as, you know, brain heavy creatures, but our bodies are taking in so much more information than our brain is sending out to our body. And so if we can know that, we can know that triggers can sometimes be environmental, they can be physical, um, not always something that we can consciously access. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, there's a lot of good research in that book. See, I didn't need a book to tell me that. I can just feel my own trap muscles and know that my body is holding, <laughs> holding some stuff. All the things, right? Yeah. And, and I think coming on, like, coming from a place of knowing trauma, it does feel a little bit like common sense now. I think at the time it was like a big deal uh, that, that people hadn't really considered. Um, another one in this category is a very accessible book and one that is um, easy for for most people to to read and understand is What Happened to You, which I can find the full title. What's the subtitle? What's the subtitle? So What Happened to You is Conversations on Trauma, Resilience, and Healing, and it is written by Dr. Bruce Perry um, and Oprah Winfrey. So it's, it's a very um, easy-to-read book. It's a great introduction into trauma and its impact, um, but it's also just a very accessible thing to, to dive into. Yes, another one I skimmed. Yeah, I so I did the audiobook version of this and I can say that there was like about half the book I didn't really care about. <laughs> so <laughs> But you're very knowledgeable. But I on the but topic. I also yeah, I also know I know the material and I know the topic. So it's it was great for me to listen to so that I could know to recommend it. Um, but yeah, coming from af- I mean after reading as as much of as I've read, um, yeah, it was about half the book that I enjoyed. Really, yeah, but still, still worth a read, or um, especially worth a read for the general public who isn't, yes, super knowledgeable about yes. trauma. So there we go. Yeah. Um, another in this category, maybe uh, less popular and more specific to the Christian community, because um, this author, Kurt Thompson, is a Christian doctor and therapist. Um, he has three books out that I have read and enjoyed. Um, one is, I think the first one is The Anatomy of the Soul, Surprising Connections Between Neuroscience and Spiritual Practices That Can Transform Your Life and Relationships. We have The Soul of Desire, Discovering the Neuroscience of Longing, Beauty, and Community, and The Soul of Shame, Retelling the Stories We Believe About Ourselves. So all kind of on the same theme. Um, Kurt Thompson's very trauma-aware. He's very... Um, neuroscience forward also, but he also has that Christian lens um, where he can kind of, you know, look at the brain and say, this is how God made us. And Mm -hmm. trauma is not God's design for us. This is, you know, the broken world that we're living in. And here's how we can deal with it and move forward and find healing. So I really recommend him to a Christian audience for sure. He also has a great podcast you can search for. Just search Kurt Thompson. You'll find it. He's amazing. He's kind of my guru right now. Mm. Loving him. Loving him. Thank you, Kurt Thompson. Kurt, if you're listening, she needs a mentor. (laughs) And next up is a book that I read on a beach day. Can you believe? (laughs) It's not a beach day kind of book, but... um, Do not recommend. You know, read it wherever you want, I guess. (laughs) The Boy Who Was Raised by a Dog. 
The Boy Who Was Raised as, as a, dog, a Dog, and other stories <laughs> from a child psychiatrist's <laughs> notebook. We got to reread that. The next book we're going to talk about is The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog. <laughs> okay, The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog is our next book, and I read this at the beach. <laughs> read it wherever you want, but it's... it's Probably not at the beach. Probably probably not a beach day read. So The Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog, subtitle, and other stories from Child Psychiatrist's Notebook, What Traumatized Children Can Teach Us About Loss, Love, and Healing. It's by Dr. Bruce Perry and Maya, oh my goodness, I cannot say this last name. It looks Polish. Zalowitz? Uh, Zalowitz? I would say something like sure. that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a... I mean, like it says, a collection of stories uh, from a child psychiatrist who was um, doing a lot of his early work in the 90s, um, which is when, you know, I was growing up and no one talked about trauma that I heard of. Um, And so it was kind of the the start of a really long journey of of where we are now looking back and and knowing what trauma is and how it impacts children. Um, He kind of dismantles this idea uh, that, that a lot of us have had of, about children being resilient and, and you know, th- like this, this, they'll get over it. They're, they're kids. They won't remember. Uh, he, he talks a lot about kind of deconstructing that idea. Um, I could not read this in a single day because the stories were very, very heavy um, for me. And so I would like read a chapter and I would have to put it down and, and process it because, you know, you're and, and especially if you're coming from a place of trauma, reading this book would be very, very, very challenging. So I would recommend reading it with um, with others, with some support, someone to process some of these stories with, especially if you have a history of trauma. Um, still a great read, I think, for anyone who is wanting to get involved in this work and, and needs to kind of flex their compassion muscle. This is a book for that. Because, you know, when you start this work... Our, our kids don't tell us all of the details of their stories. Um, so it's just important to go in with compassion. And this is one of those books that can help you say like, yeah, this kid is coming from a hard place and I don't know all of it, but I can still be compassionate without having to have them tell me what they went through. Right. Yeah. I remember reading this on the beach and leaning over to you and just saying, holy crap. Um, I didn't need as much processing time, but it it was surprising. I took inspiration from one of the case studies specifically. Um, You said uh, that this was written in the 90s before people really understood this stuff. But um, there is like kind of an intuitive understanding you have if you're caring for a child who has experienced trauma. And there was a story of one particular foster mother holding, I think, an older child in a waiting room or some kind of situation like that. And she she had to speak to the professionals there, the doctors, and she was just fiercely advocating for this child. And I don't remember the specifics of it, but that was the one that kind of stuck with me the most. I was thinking, you know, if I can enter into this work and advocate like that for the youth that I'm working with, I will be successful. So that's the main thing I took away. Yeah, I, I also really resonated with that story because I think it reminds us as people working with, with people that have been hurt is that they they have a voice. Our young adults have a voice and we want to teach them how to use that. But if they're frozen in fear, it is my duty to stand up and say, you know, listen to this young adult, listen to this child. 
like we're, we're telling you something and this is their experience. Um, and going into this work with that kind of ferocity, I think is really inspiring. Um, and seeing it so early on when, when people weren't familiar with the topic, I mean, that would be hard to stand in front of a doctor and say, no, no, <laughs> I know different. Uh, I'm, I'm this kid's foster parent or adoptive parent. Yeah. Whatever. Even thinking about that now, it, it feels really intimidating for me, but try to remember that story and think like yeah like we say all the time our kids are worth it so that's Mm -hmm. what we have to do sometimes right there's another one in this category that's not on the list because I forgot to put it there um but it'll be on the list in the show notes don't worry brainstorm the power and purpose of the teenage brain by Dr. Dan Siegel um uh, Dr. Siegel has, has written a lot of books. I, let's see, I have, I've enjoyed all of them. I think I've read them all. Um, but this one specifically for anyone working with young adults and teenagers is really, really helpful because I feel like in a lot of our materials on, on trauma and trauma informed care, we talk about younger kids. We talk about child development. We don't really talk about teenage development so much. But it is still a super important topic. Um, the brain is still developing all the way up until 24, sometimes 28. So um, this is a good book that, that unpacks the later half of, of what we would call child development. Uh, and so if you work with teenagers, read this book. The first season of the Dry Ground Project podcast is sponsored by Lighthouse Transitional Care a Christ-focused nonprofit organization in Riga, Latvia, working with young adults aged out of the orphan care system. Consider supporting The Lighthouse and learn more at lighthouselatvia.org. Okay, let's shift from all of our fun trauma books um, back to something a little more inspirational. We have a devotional to share with you. Um, actually two there's streams in the desert and springs in the valley and which one are you currently going through I'm currently going through streams in the desert mm-hmm. I went through them both last year in 2021 and enjoyed them do you want to tell us what they are about Amanda um, in general it's it's daily devotionals on faith in challenging circumstances, which, you know, we have both moved away from our home and are living in a place that is home, but is also foreign. And um, like that comes with some hardship. We're also working in a really hard um, area of, of support and care. So leaning into how God interacts in challenging times, uh, I think is particularly important for for us, but I mean, just for me personally, um, and I've, I've really enjoyed this as a devotional and kind of rebuilding these ideas that, you know, faith carries through in all seasons and it doesn't make this particular season good or bad. You know, God is faithful and he is here. Yeah. So the author is listed as Mrs. Charles E. Kalman, and she was a missionary's wife in Japan and China in the early 1900s. So obviously a challenging place and a challenging time. And that probably gave her um, inspiration to write a lot of these words. Um, 
she was prolific. She wrote seven more books um, and passed away at the ripe old age of 90. Um, So she was just a faithful servant of God. I loved these devotionals. Um, I have a few more quotes that I want to share. Yeah, I have some Um, too. We'll see if we have any that overlap. But just the topics that I kind of broke things down into, she writes about anxiety, sorrow, trials. She writes about work. She writes about prayer and the promises of God. So some of my favorite quotes. Um, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. I struggle with anxiety, so I I love that idea, and I strive to have true faith. I pray for true faith. Um, sorrows come to stretch out spaces in the heart for joy. Yeah, that one's good. I have one here um, that, have you ever heard of anyone being greatly used by Christ who did not experience a special time of waiting or a complete upset of his plans at first? And then later on, it just says, God's love is unchangeable, and he is just as loving, even we do, when we do not see or feel it. And that was true for me in you know my own ministry. I had come here to Latvia to do one thing, um, and it was just completely uprooted. And then now I'm five years into what came out of that really hard season. Um, and I just love the way that she talks about disappointment and, and hurts. Yeah, another quote along that lines is, Jesus Christ is not my security against the storms of life, but he is my perfect security in the storm. He has never promised me an easy passage, only a safe landing. So true. So true. And I'm going to, because I have a lot of quotes written down from this book, uh, but how can you know if you have faith until your faith is exercised? And I think that I really love the idea of thinking of of faith as a muscle that I'm I'm training and and learning to flex. I think naturally faith is a spiritual gift of mine, but I still need to practice it, right? I still need to be intentional uh, in flexing that muscle and giving myself space to to grow that. Mm -hmm. I struggle with recommending a devotional in general because I would encourage people to go to scripture first and, you know, God's word is the ultimate authority. It's really all that we need. But something about this woman's writing just really hits home for both of us, I think. So go to scripture first, but you can supplement with this, this do, awesome stuff. Do both. Do both. Both, do both and. Another Christian author that I love is Nancy Guthrie. She is an amazing Bible teacher. And we kind of modeled our Bible study for our youth in the fall from her book, Saints and Scoundrels in the Story of Jesus. Um, And kind of the summary of that book is um, that Jesus interacted with all kinds of different characters when he was living on earth. And each chapter kind of takes a look at each person as as a whole person and what their experience was and specifically what their experience with Jesus was. And, um, we, we don't use any pre-written Bible study curriculum for our youth because we're teaching them the Bible often in their second or third language. Um, for the first time. For often some for of the them. first time. So it needs to be very simple, very direct, um, but it's also not for children. It's for adults. So um, we create a lot of our own resources, but this um, book by Nancy Guthrie was a great starting point to talk about people 
who experienced Jesus and how Jesus really can change everything in someone's life. Um, and I loved this book. I am actually currently reading her um, new book. It's called Blessed. It's about experiencing the blessing of reading the book of Revelation, which I've read in the past. And so I'm really interested to hear Nancy Guthrie's take on it. She is amazing. She also has podcasts, so check her out. Um, people are people are getting a lot of shout outs today. So I, I hope they hear us. They're amazing. <laughs> It doesn't matter if they hear us because they, they probably already know they're amazing. They probably do. But, yeah, that's one book that I'm currently reading. Um, what are you reading right now? Um, so I am reading a few things right now. Uh, one of the ones I'm one of the books I'm reading right now is called The Soul of the Helper by Holly E. Oxhandler. She's in Waco, um, which is in my home state. But The Soul of the Helper is seven stages to seeing the sacred within yourself. Um, and it talks a lot about being a caregiver and why it's important for us as caregivers to, to take care of ourselves, why it's important, um, to, to see our worth in, in the worth of others as well. I think a lot of people that go into this type of work that are caregivers can often kind of, um, put others first so much that they just dwindle away and burn out. And I know we've said it before and we'll say it again. The work is too important to, to burn out and our youth are too important. And so this book has been really good for that kind of um, just mindset shift. I am also reading Dune. <laughs> so Another fiction. <laughs> fiction. Uh, I started because I we've been watching all the different renditions uh at home because you know why not and uh, i decided i wanted to read it so i'm reading dune uh by frank herbert if you don't know it uh i'm also reading trauma the invisible epidemic by uh paul conti dr paul conti uh it's another i mean familiar topic but he writes with a lot of um, authority and, and wisdom on the subject uh, the Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. Scazzaro? Pete uh, Scazzaro. Pete Scazzaro, um, uh, which I've enjoyed just as someone who's trying my best to lead others, either, you know, our youth or our staff. You got to lead from a place of, of health. And so that's something I read and think a lot about. And Streams in the Desert, which we talked about. So. Those are, that's what I'm reading right now. Nice. In addition to the Nancy Guthrie book, I'm also reading The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer because I am very interested in theology. And I'm a little nerdy. Yeah, just a little. I'm not reading any fiction right now, even though I made fun of you for not reading fiction, but I'm, <laughs> I'm not. How the table has turned. How the turntables. How the turntables. Do you have a favorite book? The Bible. <laughs> Jesus is always the right answer. Um, a favorite book? I, I mean, I'm trying to think of a book I've ever gone back to read twice, and I don't think I have one. I take good notes when I read, and I haven't had to return to many books before. So I'll just go with the Bible. What's your favorite book? Sure. My favorite. <laughs> no. You know what you have to I say. I believe you. I mean, also the Bible, but my favorite fiction book is 
Harry Potter, and The Order of the Phoenix. Those are our book recommendations for now. For now, come back next season for another long list of books we've been reading. Let us know if you're interested in a part two. We love reading. We'll keep reading, and we hope you'll keep reading. Hope you heard something that you're interested in. And if you have a book recommendation, drop it in the comments, I guess. We will read it. Because we're always looking for books to read. Not fiction, though, please. No fiction, and if I don't like it, I'll skim it. We'll check, it, we'll check it out. And she'll tell you about it yeah. in our next episode on books. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. The Dry Ground Project is hosted and produced by us, Callie Newton and Amanda Bannister. Music and production support by Aaron Newton. Sound production and design by Jonathan Nevis. Find us online at thedrygroundproject.org, on Instagram at thedrygroundproject, and on Twitter at drygroundproj. See you next time.